0: From Birmingham, Alabama, you're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. Many years ago, I got a phone call from a young friend in the bluegrass world that I was hanging around in sometimes who asked me a question I'd never heard before. He said, Do you think a Christian ought to sing murder ballads? Now, for those of you uninitiated in the world of bluegrass music, there are some pretty grisly songs in the old traditions. There are songs of betrayal and rage and bloody murder, like poor Ellen Smith. Little Sadie, in which the singer met his little Sadie and blowed her down, or Wild Bill Jones. As I went out for to take a little walk, I came upon that Wild Bill Jones. He was a walking and a talking by my true lover's side. I bid him to leave her alone. He said, my age is 21 years, too old to be controlled. So I drew my revolver from my side and destroyed that poor boy's soul. So let's pass around that long-necked bottle and go out walking on the street. For today was the last of that wild Bill Jones. Tomorrow will be the last of me. There's Pretty Polly, standard for banjo players. It's the story of the old-fated love between Polly and Willie. A lot of times there's a Bill or a Willie in the song, usually the person doing the killing. Anyway, he has his way with Polly and then turns on her and stabs her with his knife. And, of course, always at the end of the song, he winds up on the gallows with a rope around his neck. It ends with this distressing line from Willie as he's about to swing. For killing pretty Polly, my soul will go to hell. I'll give you a little sample of one here called uh, Down in the Willow Garden. I had a cordon And my love fell off to sleep I had a bottle of burgundy wine Which my true love did not know And there I poisoned that dear little girl Down by the banks below right cheerful and, and ends up at the end with him uh, going to his uh, execution and his old daddy who tried to buy him out with money and uh, uh, you know keep him from the gallows uh, who thought he was too good for that girl uh, ends up crying at the doorway while his son is stepping up to meet his death it's something to think about that Every day on the news, we're seeing stories worse than this. And the truth is, the Bible has stories worse than this. And we don't really overcome terrible things by not telling the truth about it. Now, I pondered what my young questioner was wanting to know from me as a minister, when is it okay for me to talk about such awful things? I said, well, they're stories, descriptions of reality. It's okay to talk about them, not to approve what happens, but as a way for us to describe and consider darkness. And then I said, come to think of it, the central story of The Christian faith is a murder story. He said, I never thought about it like that before. Well, that's a mystery indeed. We've pretty well explained away a lot of things, but some things can't be understood in this old world. Why would people blow up people they don't even know in war or betray or kill or cause the innocent to suffer? Or to see an earthquake where buildings collapse that were substandard and suddenly in the safety of sleep, people's lives are just snuffed out. There is violence everywhere in roots music, blues, bluegrass, country music. And in these songs, we enter into the divine silence. And the biblical story is pretty much the same it's silent an awful lot there is a silence about the mystery of human suffering oh there are questions why does god permit such free reign of violence and human misery that is caused by it but it isn't even that big picture why are key prayers about my children unanswered why doesn't help ever come why don't the miracles other people seem to have ever happen to me? The book of Job pretty well is eaten up with this mystery and comes out at the end with no real answer except only God has the full story. So the invitation to us in the middle of suffering is to ask whether we're going to continue to have confidence in God or not. The Psalms are also full of this pondering, and the great question is always, will faith last in the face of evil? Evil seems pretty strong. We wonder sometimes if good can really overcome it, if we're honest. And even in the church, there's a lot to ponder. The darkness of institutions sometimes. Sometimes. I told someone just today, as we were talking about a mess in the churches they're part of, I said, you know, I've always thought the church must be of God because nothing run this badly could have lasted so long. But in honest truth, there's a sense of absence in these dark things. Not absence really, but it is the collapse of all of our childish notions of how The world ought to be and how God should be. The world's a lot harder and a more difficult place than we ever imagined. And this sense of absence that we experience is that point of suspension between the old securities and the new understanding through which we pass in our journey to something deeper. Now, there are two great temptations, and one is just give up the fight and give in and sort of resign ourselves to the fact that the world will never make any sense. It takes courage not to despair when things are bad. It requires faith to get up in the morning, go on when the world has caved in. It is an act of faith in the face of suffering in the world to just go on. The absence we experience is an invitation to trust in spite of and at least the book of Job says this is one thing God wants to know about us, what's in us, to test our hearts, try us in the fire. We admire Jesus in that story most of all because he held to the truth even unto death. We know with no uncertainty that his profession was unto death. Absence is not abandonment, but it is the anxiety through which we move in facing the hardships of this world. And this brings us to our other temptation in the experience of absence, and that is to hurry past it or to downplay it or to offer shallow substitutes. The other temptation is to try to answer every question or to explain every problem as though we could overcome this reality of our questions and absence. If we make progress in the spiritual life, we know that God mysteriously is present, even when we don't feel the presence. We don't always have to have an experience of God, despite what some people say, to learn to believe that God is there. Now, this is different from a kind of practical atheism that lives one way and professes another. This trust in God lives honestly in faith. Now, having said all of that, here's what I mean. More than once I've been in a hospital room while somebody was enduring a visit that had gone on too long from people in their room. And what they really wanted was a little rest. It's wonderful to see friends come, but it's also good to see them leave sometimes. Henry Allen once said there's a ministry of presence and a ministry of absence. That is, ministry is not just to hover over people and give them answers to everything. Sometimes there are times that we just step back and we watch our children struggle alone. There are times when a couple have to be left together to work it out. Sometimes we have to give the job to a worker and trust them to do the best they can. We have all known suffocating presence in our lives. And so this may be closer to what we experience of the absence of God. It is a kind of faith that something's going on even if we don't feel it, see it, know about it. The absence of God, at least in faith we say, is the absence of love. It is not abandonment of an unwanted and unloved child. True love allows a polite distance so that the beloved has room to walk toward the lover. True love doesn't go away, but waits patiently nearby for the resounding whisper of the heart that says yes. So the presence we give to one another is not possessive or competitive, we can be present to each other in kindness or a note or a call. And we can be present without the other even knowing, simply by our prayers. But the reason this presence is so fearsome is that God also will allow us to walk away, drift away, or stomp away in self-willed absence. absence. And that's when we discover that uh, what I seek is not here. I've lost what matters most, God's company, others' love, the kingdom and its life purpose. Like a loving parent, the Lord of all waits nearby, arms outstretched, like the father of the prodigal son, not going to pull us back, but ready to celebrate when we do come. God waits just beyond our reach, letting us thrash in the pool under our own efforts to learn, but ever ready to grasp us when we are going under for the third time. Now, this can be a pretty good model for you and I for caring for each other in a suffering world, too. Explanations are not always very helpful in the moment of crisis, nor is hovering over each other to live our lives for each other. Most of us need faith in us from somebody else to get the wind back in our sails. We need somebody who goes and is there with us, a reminder whenever they see us that they haven't been forgotten. Now that brings me back to these murder ballads, and blues songs, and songs about terrible things happening. People are remembered. There is something about never letting the unjust suffering of another pass invisibly into history and dust to mark some terrible thing that has happened and call the name of the person so that they are not forgotten. The blues really are a way of turning suffering into art. Sometimes the best thing we do in communities of faith, gatherings of people, doesn't have to do with all the things we explain away or the one, two, three answers we give to every problem of life. Sometimes it is just the glory of singing together in a world where singing doesn't deserve to be done. We just keep going. And that's why you can sing murder ballads. You might need to explain them. But terrible things have happened. And wonderful things. I told a friend today at lunch that after all the years in the ministry, I was prepared for the bad things. And I spent plenty of my life going to jails and deathbeds and terrible moments of suffering, but what I was not prepared for was the goodness, the unexpected and multiples of good things that people did. For every tragedy, there were a thousand acts of routine that went on without prompting. Goodness was far more prevalent than I ever Realized. The truth is, you and I just don't get to know. So we keep going and we sing about it. And sometimes it's a murder ballad and sometimes it just says, Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Well, as we go today in a world where On the other side of the planet, thousands of people are suffering from an earthquake that has happened and there is a war in which suffering is being multiplied. We just keep holding to this belief that there is goodness, there is hope. I'm Gary Furr, and this is the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at g-a-f-u-r-r, g-a-furr.com, and you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at garyfurr.me, g-a-r-y-f-u-r-r.me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on The Flat Pilgrim's Progress.